Section 3 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume 1, Part 1 of Chapter 3. Letters. 1861-62. On the Frontier. Mining Adventures. Journalistic Beginnings. Clemens went from the battlefront to Keokuk, where Orion was preparing to accept the appointment prophesied by Madame Caprell. Orion was a staunch Unionist, and a member of Lincoln's cabinet had offered him the secretaryship of the new territory of Nevada. Orion had accepted, and only needed funds to carry him to his destination. His pilot brother had the funds, and upon being appointed private secretary, agreed to pay both passages on the overland stage which would bear them across the Great Plains from St. Joe to Carson City. Mark Twain, in Roughing It, had described that glorious journey and the frontier life that followed it. His letters form a supplement of realism to a tale that is more or less fictitious, though marvelously true in color and background. The first bears no date, but it was written not long after their arrival, August 14, 1861. It is not complete, but there is enough of it to give us a very fair picture of Carson City, a wooden town, its population 2,000 souls part of a letter to Mrs. Jane Clemens in St. Louis, date not given, but September or October, 1861. My dear mother, I hope you will all come out here some day, but I shan't consent to invite you until we can receive you in style. But I guess we shall be able to do that one of these days. I intend that Pamela shall live on Lake Bigler until she can knock a bull down with a fist, say about three months. Tell everything, as it is no better and no worse. Well, Gold Hill sells at $5,000 per foot, cash down. Wildcat isn't worth ten cents. The country is fabulously rich in gold, silver, copper, lead, coal, iron, quicksilver, marble, granite, chalk, plaster of Paris, gypsum, thieves, murderers, desperadoes, ladies, children, lawyers, Christians, Indians, Chinamen, Spaniards, gamblers, sharpers, coyotes, pronounced coyotes, poets, preachers and jackass rabbits i overheard a gentleman say the other day that it was the blankest country under the sun and that comprehensive conception i fully subscribe to it never rains here and the dew never falls no flowers grow here and no green thing gladdens the eye the birds that fly over the land carry their provisions with them only the crow and the raven tarry with us. Our city lies in the midst of a desert of the purest, most unadulterated and compromising sand, 
in which infernal soil nothing but that fag end of vegetable creation sagebrush ventures to grow if you will take a lilliputian cedar tree for a model and build a dozen imitations of it with the stiffest article of telegraph wire set them one foot apart and then try to walk through them you'll understand provided the floor is covered twelve inches deep with sand what it is to wander through a sagebrush desert when crushed sagebrush emits an odor which isn't exactly magnolia and equally isn't exactly polecat but is a sort of compromise between the two it looks a good deal like grease wood and is the ugliest plant that was ever conceived of it is gray in color on the plains sagebrush and greasewood grow about twice as large as the common geranium and in my opinion they are a very good substitute for that useless vegetable greasewood is a perfect most perfect imitation in miniature of a live oak tree barring the color of it as to the other fruits and flowers of the country there ain't any except pulu or tula or whatever they call it a species of unpoetical willow that grows on the banks of the Carson, a river twenty yards wide, knee-deep and so villainously rapid and crooked that it looks like it had wandered into the country without intending it, and had run about in a bewildered way and got lost in its hurry to get out again before some thirsty man came along and drank it up. I said we are situated in a flat, sandy desert, true and surrounded on all sides by such prodigious mountains that when you gaze at them a while and begin to conceive of their grandeur and next to feel their vastness expanding your soul and ultimately find yourself growing and swelling and spreading into a giant i say when this point is reached you look disdainfully down upon the insignificant village of carson and in that instant you are seized with a burning desire to stretch forth your hand put the city in your pocket and walk off with it as to churches i believe they have got a catholic one here but like that one the new york fireman spoke of i believe they don't run her now now although we are surrounded by sand the greatest part of the town is built upon what was once a very pretty grassy spot and the streams of pure water that used to poke about it in rural sloth and solitude now pass through on dusty streets and gladden the hearts of men by reminding them that there is at least something here that hath its prototype among the homes they left behind and up king's cannon please pronounce canyon after the manner of the natives there are ranches or farms where they say hay grows and grass and beets and onions and turnips and other truck which is suitable for cows yes and even irish potatoes also cabbage peas and beans the houses are mostly frame unplastered but papered inside with flour sacks sewed together and the handsomer the brand upon the sacks is the neater the house looks occasionally you stumble on a stone house on account of the dryness of the country the shingles on the houses warp till they look like short joints of stovepipe split lengthwise remainder missing in this letter is something of the wild freedom of the west which later would contribute to his fame 
the spirit of the frontier of mark twain was beginning to stir him there had been no secretary work for him to do and no provision for payment he found his profit in studying human nature and in prospecting native resources he was not interested in mining not yet with a boy named john kinney he made an excursion to lake bigler now tahoe and located a timber claim really of great value they were supposed to build a fence around it but they were too full of the enjoyment of camp life to complete it they put in most of their time wandering through the stately forest or drifting over the transparent lake in a boat left there by lumbermen they built themselves a brush house but they did not sleep in it in roughing it he writes it never occurred to us for one thing and besides it was built to hold the ground and that was enough we did not wish to strain it they were having a glorious time when their campfire got away from them and burned up their claim his next letter of which the beginning is missing describes the fire fragment of a letter to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffat in st louis the level ranks of flame were relieved at intervals by the standard-bearers as we called the tall dead trees wrapped in fire and waving the blazing banners a hundred feet in the air then we could turn from this scene to the lake and see every branch and leaf and cataract of flame upon its bank perfectly reflected as in a gleaming fiery mirror the mighty roaring of the conflagration together with our solitary and somewhat unsafe position for there was no one within six miles of us rendered the scene very impressive occasionally one of us would remove his pipe from his mouth and say superb magnificent beautiful but by the lord god almighty if we attempt to sleep in this little patch tonight we'll never live till morning for if we don't burn up we'll certainly suffocate but he was persuaded to sit up until we felt pretty safe as far as the fire was concerned and then we turned in with many misgivings when we got up in the morning we found that the fire had burned small pieces of driftwood within six feet of our boat and had made its way to within four or five steps of us on the south side we looked like lava men covered as we were with ashes and begrimed with smoke we were very black in the face but we soon washed ourselves white again john d kinney a cincinnati boy and a first-rate fellow too who came out with judge turner was my comrade we stayed at the lake four days i had plenty of fun for john constantly reminded me of sam bowen when we were on our campaign in missouri but first and foremost for annie's molly's and pamela's comfort be it known that i have never been guilty of profane language since i have been in this territory and kenny hardly ever swears but sometimes human nature gets the better of him on the second day we started to go by land to the lower camp a distance of three miles over the mountains each carrying an axe i don't think we got lost exactly but we wandered four hours over the steepest rockiest and most dangerous piece of country in the world i couldn't keep from laughing at kenny's distress so i kept behind so that he could not see me 
after he would get over a dangerous place with infinite labor and constant apprehension he would stop lean on his axe and look around then behind then ahead and then drop his head and ruminate a while then he would draw a long sigh and say well could any billy goat have scaled that place without breaking his blank blank neck and i would reply no i don't think he could no you don't think he could mimicking me why don't you curse the infernal place you know you want to i do and will curse the blankety blank thieving country as long as i live then we would toil on in silence for a while finally i told him well john what if we don't find our way out of this today we'll know all about the country when we get out oh stuff i know enough and too much about the blank villainous locality already finally we reached the camp but as we brought no provisions with us the first subject that presented itself to us was how to get back john swore he wouldn't walk back so we rolled a drift log apiece into the lake and set about making paddles intending to straddle the logs and paddle ourselves back home some time or other but the lake objected got stormy and we had to give it up so we set out for the only house on this side of the lake three miles from there down the shore we found the way without any trouble reached there before sundown played three games of cribbage borrowed a dugout and pulled back six miles to the upper camp as we had eaten nothing since sunrise we did not waste time in cooking our supper or in eating it either after supper we got out our pipes built a rousing campfire in the open air established a faro bank an institution of this country on our huge flat granite dining table and bet white beans till one o'clock when john went to bed we were up before the sun the next morning went out on the lake and caught a fine trout for breakfast but unfortunately i spoilt part of the breakfast we had coffee and tea boiling on the fire in coffee pots and fearing they might not be strong enough i added more ground coffee and more tea but you know mistakes will happen i put the tea in the coffee pot and the coffee in the teapot and if you imagine that they were not villainous mixtures just try the effect once and so bella is to be married on the first of october well i send her and her husband my very best wishes and i may not be here but wherever i am on that night we'll have a rousing campfire and a jollification in honor of the event in a day or two we shall probably go to the lake and build another cabin and fence and get everything into satisfactory trim before our trip to esmeralda about the first of november what has become of sam bowen i would give my last shirt to have him out here i will make no promises but i believe if john would give him a thousand dollars and send him out here he would not regret it he might possibly do very well here but he could do little without capital remember me to all my st louis and keokuk friends and tell charlie and halle renson that i heard a military band play what are the wild waves saying the other night 
and it reminded me very forcibly of them. It brought Ella Creel and Belle across the desert, too, in an instant, for they sang the song in Orion's yard the first time I ever heard it. It was like meeting an old friend. I tell you, I could have swallowed that whole band trombone and all if such a compliment would have been any gratification to them. Love to the young folks. Sam the reference in the foregoing letter to Esmeralda has to do with mining plans. He was beginning to be mildly interested, and, with his brother Orion, had acquired feet in an Esmeralda camp, probably at a very small price, so small as to hold out no exciting prospect of riches. In his next letter he gives us the size of this claim which he has visited. His interest, however, still appears to be chiefly in his timber claim on Lake Vigler. Tahoe, though we are never to hear of it again after this letter. To Mrs. Moffat in St. Louis, Carson City, October 25, 1861. My dear sister, I have just finished reading your letter and Ma's of September 8th. How in the world could they have been so long coming? You ask me if I have forgotten my promise to lay a claim for Mr. Moffat. By no means. I have already laid a timber claim on the borders of a lake, Bigler, which throws Como in the shade. And if we succeed in getting one Mr. Jones to move his sawmill up there, Mr. Moffat can just consider that claim better than bank stock. Jones says he will move his mill up next spring. In that claim I took up about two miles in length by one in width, and the names in it are as follows. Sam L. Clemens, William A. Moffat, Thomas Nye, and three others. It is situated on Sam Clemens Bay, so named by Captain Nye, and it goes by that name among the inhabitants of that region. I had better stop about the lake, though, for whenever I think of it, I want to go there and die. The place is so beautiful. I'll build a country seat there one of these days that will make the devil's mouth water if he ever visits the earth. Jim Lampton will never know whether I laid a claim there for him or not until he comes here himself. We have now got about 1,650 feet of mining ground, and if it proves good, Mr. Moffat's name will go in. If not, I can get feet for him in the spring which will be good. You see, Pamela, the trouble does not consist in getting mining ground, for that is plenty enough, but the money to work it with after you get it is the mischief. When I was in Esmeralda, a young fellow gave me fifty feet in the Black Warrior, an unprospected claim. The other day he wrote me that he had gone down eight feet on the ledge and found it eight feet thick and pretty good rock, too. He said he could take out rock now if there were a mill to crush it, but the mills are all engaged. There are only four of them. So, if I were willing, he would suspend work until spring. I wrote him to let it alone at present, because, you see, in the spring I can go down myself and help him look after it. There will then be twenty mills there. Orion and I have confidence enough in this country to think that if the war will let us alone we can make Mr. Moffat rich without its ever costing him a cent of money or particle of trouble. 
we shall lay plenty of claims for em but if they never pay em anything they will never cost em anything orion and i are not financiers therefore you must persuade uncle jim to come out here and help us in that line i have written to him twice to come i wrote him today in both letters i told him not to let you or ma know that we dealt in such romantic nonsense as brilliant prospects because i always did hate for anyone to know what my plans or hopes or prospects were for if i kept people in ignorance in these matters no one could be disappointed but myself if they were not realized you know i never told you that i went on the river under a promise to pay bixby five hundred dollars until i had paid the money and cleared my skirts of the possibility of having my judgment criticized i would not say anything about our prospects now if we were nearer home but i suppose at this distance you are more anxious than you would be if you saw us every month and therefore it is hardly fair to keep you in the dark however keep these matters to yourselves and then if we fail we'll keep the laugh in the family what we want now is something that will commence paying immediately we have got a chance to get into a claim where they say a tunnel has been run one hundred fifty feet and the lead struck i got a horse yesterday and went out with the attorney general and the claim owner and we tried to go to the claim by a new route and got lost in the mountains sunset overtook us before we found the claim my horse got too lame to carry me and i got down and drove him ahead of me till within four miles of town then we sent rice on ahead bunker whose horse was in good condition undertook to lead mine and i followed after him darkness shut him out from my view in less than a minute and within the next minute i lost the road and got to wandering in the sagebrush i would find the road occasionally and then lose it again in a minute or so i got to carson about nine o'clock at night but not by the road i traveled when i left it the general says my horse did very well for a while but soon refused to lead then he dismounted and had a jolly time driving both horses ahead of him and chasing them here and there through the sagebrush it does my soul good when i think of it until he got to town when both animals deserted him and he cursed them handsomely and came home alone of course the horses went to their stables tell sammy i will lay a claim for him and he must come out and attend to it he must get rid of that propensity for tumbling down though for when we get fairly started here i don't think we shall have time to pick up those who fall that is stouter's house i expect that cousin jim has moved into this is just the country for cousin jim to live in I don't believe it would take him six months to make one hundred thousand dollars here if he had three thousand dollars to commence with i suppose he can't leave his family though tell mrs benson i never intend to be a lawyer i have been a slave several times in my life but i'll never be one again i always intend to be so situated unless i marry that i can pull up stakes and clear out whenever i feel like it we are very thankful to you pamela for the papers you send we have received half a dozen or more and next to letters they are the most welcome visitors we have write often of pamela your brother sam
the cousin jim mentioned in this letter is the original of the character of colonel sellers whatever mark twain's later opinion of cousin jim lampton's financial genius may have been he seems to have respected it at this time more than three months pass until we have another letter and in that time the mining fever had become well seated mark twain himself was full of the seller's optimism and it was bound to overflow fortify as he would against it he met with little enough encouragement with three companions in midwinter he made a mining excursion to the much exploited humboldt region returning empty-handed after a month or two of hard experience this is the trip picturesquely described in chapters twenty seven through thirty three of roughing it it is set down historically in mark twain a biography harper and brothers he mentions the humboldt in his next letter but does not confess his failure to mrs jane clemens and mrs moffat in st louis carson city february eighth eighteen sixty two my dear mother and sister by george pamela i begin to fear that i have invoked a spirit of some kind or other which i will find some difficulty in laying i wasn't much terrified by your growing inclinations but when you begin to call presentiments to your aid i confess that i weaken mr moffat is right as i said before and i am not much afraid of his going wrong men are easily dealt with but when you get the women started you are in for it you know but i have decided on two things vis any of you or all of you may live in california for that is the garden of eden reproduced but you shall never live in nevada and secondly none of you save mr moffat shall ever cross the plains if you were only going to pike's peak a little matter of seven hundred miles from st joe you might take the coach and i wouldn't say a word but i consider it over two thousand miles from st joe to carson and the first six or eight hundred miles is mere fourth of july compared to the balance of the route but lord bless you a man enjoys every foot of it if you ever come here or to california it must be by sea Mr. Moffat must come by overland coach, though, by all means. He would consider it the jolliest little trip he ever took in his life. Either June, July, or August are the proper months to make the journey in. He could not suffer from heat, and three or four heavy armor blankets would make the cold nights comfortable. If the coach were full of passengers, two good blankets would probably be sufficient if he comes and brings plenty of money and fails to invest it to his entire satisfaction i will prophesy no more but i will tell you a few things which you wouldn't have found out if i hadn't got myself into this scrape i expect to return to st louis in july per steamer i don't say that i will return then or that i shall be able to do it but i expect to you bet I came down here from Humboldt in order to look after our Esmeralda interests, and my sore-backed horse and the bad roads have prevented me from making the journey. Yesterday one of my old Esmeralda friends, Bob Howland, arrived here, and I've had a talk with him. He owns with me in the Horatio and Derby Ledge. 
he says our tunnel is in fifty-two feet and a small stream of water has been struck which bids fair to become a big thing by the time the ledge is reached sufficient to supply a mill now if you knew anything of the value of water here you would perceive at a glance that if the water should amount to fifty or one hundred inches we wouldn't care whether school kept or not if the ledge should prove to be worthless we'd sell the water for money enough to give us quite a lift but you see the ledge will not prove to be worthless we have located nearby a fine site for a mill and when we strike the ledge you know we'll have a mill site water power and pay rock all handy then we shan't care whether we have capital or not mill folks will build us a mill and wait for their pay if nothing goes wrong we'll strike the ledge in june and if we do i'll be home in july you know pamela don't you know that undemonstrated human calculations won't do to bet on don't you know that i have only talked as yet but proved nothing don't you know that i have expended money in this country but have made none myself don't you know that i have never held in my hands a gold or silver bar that belonged to me don't you know that it's all talk and no cider so far don't you know that people who always feel jolly no matter where they are or what happens to them who have their organ of hope preposterously developed who are endowed with an uncongealable sanguine temperament who never feel concerned about the price of corn and who cannot by any possibility discover any but the bright side of a picture are very apt to go to extremes and exaggerate with forty-horse microscopic power of course i never tried to raise these suspicions in your mind but then your knowledge of the fact that some people's poor frail human nature is a sort of crazy institution anyhow ought to have suggested them to you now if i hadn't thoughtlessly got you into the notion of coming out here and thereby got myself into a scrape i wouldn't have given you that highly colored paragraph about the mill etc because you know if that pretty little picture should fail and wash out and go the devil generally it wouldn't cost me the loss of an hour's sleep but you fellows would be so much distressed on my account as i could possibly be if circumstances beyond my control were to prevent my being present at my own funeral but but in the bright lexicon of youth there is no such word as fail and i'll prove it and look here i came near forgetting it don't you say a word to me about trains across the plains because i am down on that arrangement that sort of thing is played out you know the overland coach or the mail steamer is the thing you want to know something about the route between california and nevada territory suppose you take my word for it that it is exceedingly jolly or take for a winter view j ross brown's picture in harper's monthly of pack mules tumbling fifteen hundred feet down the side of a mountain why bless you there's scenery on that route you can stand on some of those noble peaks and see jerusalem and the holy land and you can start a boulder and send it tearing up the earth and crashing over trees down 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 to the very devil madam and you would probably stand up there and look and stare and wonder at the magnificence spread out before you till you starve to death if let alone 
but you should take someone along to keep you moving. Since you want to know, I will inform you that an eight-stamp water mill, put up and ready for business, would cost about ten to twelve thousand dollars. Then the water to run it with would cost from one to thirty thousand dollars, and even more, according to the location. What I mean by that is that water powers in this vicinity are immensely valuable. So also in Esmeralda. But Humboldt is a new country, and things don't cost so much there yet. I saw a good water power sold there for $750, but here's the way the thing is managed. A man with a good water power on Carson River will lean his axe up against a tree, provided you find him chopping cordwood at $4 a day, and taking his chalk pipe out of his mouth to afford him an opportunity to answer your questions, will look you coolly in the face and tell you his little property is worth forty or $50,000, but you can easily fix him. You tell him that you'll build a quartz mill on his property and make him a fourth or a third or half owner in said mill in consideration of the privilege of using said property, and that will bring him to his milk in a jiffy. So he spits on his hands and goes in again with his axe until the mill is finished, when lo out pops the quantum woodchopper arrayed in purple and fine linen and prepared to deal in bank stock or bet on the races or take government loans with an air as to the amount of the most don't care damnedest unconcern that you can conceive of by george if i just had a thousand dollars i'd be all right now there's the horatio for instance there are five or six shareholders in it and i know i could buy half of their interests at say twenty dollars per foot now that flour is worth fifty dollars per barrel and they are pressed for money but I am hard up myself and can't buy, and in June they'll strike the ledge and then goodbye canary. I can't get it for love or money. Twenty dollars a foot. Think of it. For ground that is proven to be rich. Twenty dollars, madam, and we wouldn't part with a foot of our seventy-five for five times the sum. So it will be in Humboldt next summer. The boys will get pushed and sell ground for a song that is worth a fortune. But I am at the helm now. I have convinced Orion that he hasn't business talent enough to carry on a peanut stand, and he has solemnly promised me that he will meddle no more with mining or other matters not connected with the secretary's office. So you see, if mines are to be bought or sold or tunnels run or shafts sunk, parties have to come to me and me only. I'm the firm, you know. How long does it take one of those infernal trains to go through? Well, anywhere between three and five months. Tell Margaret that if you ever come to live in California, that you can promise her a home for a hundred years, and a bully one, but she wouldn't like the country. Some people are malicious enough to think that if the devil was set at liberty and told to confine himself to Nevada territory, that he would come here and look sadly around a while, and then get homesick and go back to hell again. But I hardly believe it, you know. I am saying, mind you, that Margaret wouldn't like the country, perhaps, nor the devil either, for that matter, or any other man. But I like it. When it rains here, it never lets up till it has done all the raining it has got to do, and after that 
there's a dry spell you bet why i've had my whiskers and mustaches so full of alkali dust that you'd have thought i worked in a starch factory and boarded in a flour barrel since we have been here there's not been a fire although the houses are built of wood they holler fire sometimes though but i'm always too late to see the smoke before the fire's out if they ever have any now they raised a yell here in front of the office a moment ago i put away my papers and locked up everything of value and changed my boots and pulled off my coat and went and got a bucket of water and came back to see what the matter was remarking to myself i guess i'll be on hand this time anyway but i met a friend on the pavement and he said where you been fire's out half an hour ago ma says axtel was above suspicion but i have searched through webster's unabridged and can't find the word however it's of no consequence i hope he got down safely i knew axtel and his wife as well as i know dan haynes mrs a once tried to embarrass me in the presence of company by asking me to name her baby when she was well aware that i didn't know the sex of that phenomenon but i told her to call it francis and spell it to suit herself that was about nine years ago and axtel had no property and could hardly support his family by his earnings he was a pious cuss though member of margaret sexton's church and ma says it looks like a man can't hold public office and be honest why certainly not madam a man can't hold public office and be honest lord bless you it is a common practice with orion to go about town stealing little things that happen to be lying around loose and i don't remember having heard him speak the truth since we have been in nevada he even tries to prevail upon me to do these things ma but i wasn't brought up in that way you know you showed the public what you could do in that line when you raised me madam but then you ought to have raised me first so that orion could have had the benefit of my example do you know that he stole all the stamps out of an eight-stamp quartz mill one night and brought them home under his overcoat and hid them in the back room yours etc sam a little later he had headed for the esmeralda hills sometime in february he was established there in a camp with a young man by the name of horatio phillips Raish. Later he camped with Bob Howland, who, as city marshal of Aurora, became known as the most fearless man in the territory, and still later with Calvin H. Higby, Cal, to whom Roughing It would one day be dedicated. His own funds were exhausted by this time, and Orion, with his rather slender salary, became the financial partner of the firm. It was a comfortless life there in the Esmeralda camp snow covered everything there was nothing to do and apparently nothing to report for there are no letters until april then the first one is dated carson city where he seems to be making a brief sojourn it is a rather heavy attempt to be light-hearted its playfulness suggests that of a dancing bear to mrs jane clemens in st louis carson city april two eighteen sixty two my dear mother yours of march second has just been received 
I see I am in for it again with Annie, but she ought to know that I was always stupid. She used to try to teach me lessons from the Bible, but I never could understand them. Doesn't she remember telling me the story of Moses one Sunday, last spring, and how hard she tried to explain it and simplify it so that I could understand it, but I couldn't? And how she said it was strange that while her ma and her grandma and her uncle Orion could understand anything in the world, I was so dull that I couldn't understand the easiest thing. And doesn't she remember that finally a light broke in upon me, and I said it was all right, that I knew old Moses himself, and that he kept a clothing store in Market Street? And then she went to her ma and said she didn't know what would become of her Uncle Sam. He was too dull to learn anything, ever. And I'm just as dull yet. Now, I have no doubt her letter was spelled right, and was correct in all particulars, but then I had to read it according to my lights, and they being inferior, she ought to overlook the mistakes I make specially, as it is not my fault that I wasn't born with good sense. I am sure she will detect an encouraging ray of intelligence in that last argument. I am waiting here trying to rent a better office for Orion. I've got the refusal after next week of a room on first floor of a fireproof brick rent, $1,800 a year. Don't know yet whether we can get it or not. If it is not rented before the week is up, we can. I was sorry to hear that Dick was killed. I gave him his first lesson in the musket drill. We had half a dozen muskets in our office when it was over Isbell's music rooms. I hope I am wearing the last white shirt that will embellish my person for many a day, for I do hope that I shall be out of Carson long before this reaches you. Love to all. Very respectfully, Sam. The Annie in this letter was his sister Pamela's little daughter. Long years after, she would be the wife of Charles L. Webster, Mark Twain's publishing partner. Dick the reader may remember as Dick Hingham, of the Keokuk Printing Office. He was killed in charging the works at Fort Donelson. Clemens was back in Esmeralda when the next letter was written, and we began now to get pictures of that cheerless mining camp, and to know something of the alternate hopes and discouragements of the hunt for gold, the miner one day soaring on wings of hope, on the next becoming excited, irritable, profane. The names of new mines appear constantly and vanish almost at a touch, suggesting the fairy-like evanescence of their riches. But a few of the letters here will best speak for themselves. Not all of them are needed. It is perhaps unnecessary to say that there is no intentional humor in these documents. To Orion Clemens in Carson City, Esmeralda, 13th April, 1862 my dear brother wasson got here night before last from the wars tell lockhart he is not wounded and not killed he is altogether unhurt he says the whites left their stone fort before he and lieutenant noble got there a large amount of provisions and ammunition which they left behind them fell into the hands of the indians they had a pitched battle with the savages some fifty miles from the fort in which scott sheriff 
and another man was killed this was the day before the soldiers came up with them i mean noble's men and those under colonels evans and mayfield from los angeles evans assumed the chief command and next morning the forces were divided into three parties and marched against the enemy colonel mayfield was killed and sergeant gillespie also noble's colonel was wounded the california troops went back home and noble remained to help drive the stock over here and his cousin sally dillard says this is all i know about the fight work not yet begun on the h and derby haven't seen it yet it is still in the snow shall begin on it within three or four weeks strike the ledge in july guess it is good worth from thirty to fifty dollars a foot in california why didn't you send the live yankee deed the very one i wanted have made no inquiries about it much don't intend to until i get the deed send it along by mail blank the express have to pay three times for all express matter once in carson and twice here i don't expect to take the saddlebags out of the express office i paid twenty-five cents for the express deeds man named gebhardt shot here yesterday while trying to defend a claim on last chance hill expect he will die these mills here are not worth a blank except clayton's and it is not in full working trim yet send me forty or fifty dollars by mail immediately the redbird is probably good can't work on the tunnel on account of snow the pew i have thrown away shan't relocate it it is nothing but bedrock croppings too much work to find the ledge if there is one shan't record the farnum until i know more about it perhaps not at all governor under the snow douglas and redbird are both recorded i have had opportunities to get into several ledges but refused all but three expect to back out of two of them stir yourself as much as possible and lay up a hundred dollars or fifteen thousand dollars subject to my call i go to work tomorrow with pick and shovel something's got to come by blank before i let go here colonel young says you must rent kincaid's room by all means government would rather pay one hundred fifty dollars a month for your office than seventy-five dollars for general north's says you are playing your hand very badly for either the government's good opinion or anybody's else in keeping your office in a shanty says put governor nye in your place and he would have a stylish office and no objections would ever be made either when old colonel young's talks this way i think it is time to get a fine office i wish you would take that office and fit it up handsomely so that i can omit telling people that by this time you are handsomely located when i know it is no such thing i am living with ratio phillips send him one of those black portfolios by the stage and put a couple of pen-holders and a dozen steel pens in it if you should have occasion to dispose of the long desk before i return don't forget to break open the middle drawer and take out my things envelop my black cloth coat in a newspaper 
and hang it in the back room. Don't buy anything while I'm here, but save up some money for me. Don't send any money home. I shall have your next quarter's salary spent before you get it, I think. I mean to make or break here within the next two or three months. Yours, Sam. The wars mentioned in the opening paragraph of this letter were incident to the trouble concerning the boundary line between California and Nevada. The trouble continued for some time with occasional bloodshed. End of section 3 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista